Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, Richie V, Mr. Call Screener. And I am here 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden, New York City. We're talking about Cuba, CPAC, and the counter-revolution. Now, today's the big day. Mark Levin drops his new book. Make sure you get a copy of it. And we're going to talk about that in the third segment when we talk about the counter-revolution. But right now, I want to talk about the uprising that's going on in Cuba. What's fascinating here is that no matter what, you can always count on the reliability of the American political left. And what I mean by that is you've got AOC silent. This is the stuff she advocates for, right? She wants socialism. She wants this uh, uh, communist light. I'm just going to flirt with that term uh, because I've never heard her really call for authoritarianism, but I wouldn't uh, put it past her. And all of that has come to a head in Cuba. People are tired of being mistreated. They, I believe they killed a doctor in the street by clubbing him to death because he was saying things about their handling of the virus. Now, I don't think that's exactly what has sparked it. I think what, what sparked it is decades of oppression. And people are saying, you know what, whether it was this straw that broke the camel's back or that straw that broke the camel's back, the camel's back is broken. They want liberty. They're chanting for vida y patria, for life and the homeland. These are patriots that want to live in Cuba and want liberty. And like most people, they want to have that God-given freedom. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir telling you about this, but... This is actually happening in Cuba. They're turning over police cars. And I know some of the critics are saying, but you know what? When BLM did that, Rich, when Antifa did that, you were all up in arms saying it was not fair, that they shouldn't do that. And they shouldn't. So why is it okay for the Cubans to do it? Well, quite frankly, the Cubans don't have anything except faith. They've been starved. They've been deprived of medicine. They've been deprived of everything. They've been killed to stifle them from speaking out. They've been put in political prisons for having a dissenting opinion. That's not what happened last summer. Not even close. So to say that when somebody's burning an NYPD vehicle, it's the same as burning a Cuban police vehicle, which I didn't see any arson or anything like that, but I saw a couple of toppled police cars. It's not the same. We can't just pretend that these things are the same. But this is what happens when we swallow the poison pill. You know, and I was thinking about this with um, Mr. Producer yesterday. We were talking a little bit about how did we get here? And I think the tipping point for us really was uh, President Obama really brought a lot of this stuff to light. He really brought out 
so many issues that were non-issues and he put them at the forefront like they were major issues. And he used different groups to help him get there. And one of those groups is the LGBTQ community that I th- believe he used in a way to promote this poison pill of, of do what we say or we'll just uh, ostracize you. And they did it under the, the guise of HIB, harassment, intimidation, and bullying. That was the poison pill that was forced down the throats of the American people. And the LGBTQ agenda went right along with it. School boards all across the country. And it was a huge story. I don't know if you remember. I'll remind you. A young man, very unfortunate, young man that was a student at Rutgers University and jumped off the George Washington Bridge. Now, this was a very emotional event that was leveraged to normalize homosexuality. Now, I'm not saying that we should ostracize people that choose to live that way. I I am saying that this push started then. And I disagree with the way that those people treated that poor kid that, you know, they videotaped him and then they tried to out him and all all of that was wrong, 100% wrong. But it doesn't mean that the rest of the country needs to succumb to the will of the LGBTQ community, right? If you disagree, let me know at Rich Valdez on Twitter, at Rich Valdez on Parler, at Rich Valdez on all the social media, and that's Rich Valdez with an S. And I say that because in my real life, there may be gay people in, in my life. There may not be people that, you know, colleagues, uh, vendors, whomever, people that I come across. But it's in no way something that I would say is a constant in my life. And I live here on the East Coast. I think a lot of people live a life that is free and clear and devoid of that. You may see somebody who participates in that lifestyle from time to time. Okay, no problem. But it's not something that's an everyday event. At least it's not in my life. So for, for me, I think, you know, this is not something that I think we need to teach in kindergarten. I don't think this is something that we, we need to have the amount of emphasis on it as we do. I've never seen this emphasis on straight married couples, but yet you see this kind of emphasis on, you know, love Trump's hate and there was the no hate campaign and they automatically equate somebody disagreeing, whether it's because of their faith or otherwise, disagreeing with their position on this as hate. Whereas I think you can disagree with something and say, whatever, you know, I don't agree with this, not for me. I wouldn't recommend it for my family and leave it there. There's no need to say that now you're hateful because you said that. But anyway, that's my opinion. I'm happy to argue it if that's what you want to argue. But what I want to talk about is Cuba and not to mention um, the the male version of AOC, Che Guevara, you know, was, was infamous for his persecution against gays. So, I mean, the communists don't necessarily like gays, but they figured out in America we could use the gay community to advance our agenda. And they have. And they did. And that's where we are. And the reliability of the left that I was talking about comes from, you could almost bet if something wrong happens somewhere, the left is going to blame America. And that's exactly what they're doing. And Joe Biden's like their their happy warrior, to use a a Reagan line. Right? Joe Biden comes out and says that, well, this is... uh, uh, horrible. This is, you know, the economic de- uh, depression and the misuse of funds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, kind of blaming the regime, lightly blaming the regime. Kind of like when he said that China killed people and imprisoned people. And well, that's just a part of their culture, he says. Not, It's not a human rights abuse. It's not a travesty. It was just, they're just different in China. That's all. No, sir. It doesn't work that way. So Biden says something that could plausibly be received as something that's like, wow, you know, you, even a broken clock is right twice a day. But quickly, Jen Pacerco back Pasaki, Silent P, of course, 
she comes out and tries to clean it up. But I want you first to hear exactly what President Biden had to say. Check this out. The Cuban people demanding their freedom from an authoritarian regime. And I don't think we've seen anything like this protest uh, in a long, long time, if, if quite frankly, ever. Um, the United States stands firmly with the people of Cuba as they assert their universal rights. And we call on the government, government of Cuba, to refrain from violence and our attempts to silence the voice of the people of Cuba. And we're also closely following the developments in Haiti in the wake of the horrific assassination of the president that recently took place. The people of Haiti deserve peace and security, and Haiti's political leaders need to come together for the good of their country. Over the weekend, I dispatched a, uh, a high-level expert delegation to assess the situation and to determine where the United States can offer our support. And finally, as a close neighbor and friend of the people of both Cuba and Haiti, the United States stands ready to continue to provide assistance. And I'll have more for you as we move on. So to me, this is a non-statement by the president. Biden didn't really say anything here. Now, he mentioned Haiti in his comments. And what's interesting about the assassination of, of the leader in Haiti was that uh, there's a article in today's New York Post. And again, I, I, I haven't really uh, drilled down into it, so I don't want to jump too far deep into it. But the headline suggests that they've tracked down a lead on the assassin and that he has a paper trail that leads back to the DEA or the CIA or something like that. Now, that sounds like a typical American MO to me. And now I'm, I'm not part of the blame America first crowd, as Mark Levin would call them, or the hate America first crowd. But I do know in my years of being an observer of politics, the Republicans have always kind of openly embraced regime change and war being, you know, called hawkish warmongers. And Democrats have typically been very private in their regime change, doing it, you know, behind closed doors, using the CIA, covert operations, etc., these clandestine methods to bring it about, whether it was the Arab Spring and Hillary Clinton saying, oh, no, because it was a YouTube video. That was all that happened in Benghazi. We all know that's a damn lie. Straight up lie. But that's how they do it. So when you have these, quote unquote, spontaneous eruptions of violence, these spontaneous uh, protests for sovereignty of a people, I think it's both and. I think people are fed up, but I think there are people out there that are helping them. Pro-democracy groups could be, could be um, people from intelligence agencies that want to disrupt the balance of power in that country. I find it remarkable. These guys have the best signs, the best American flags, just like overnight. It's like, oh, wow, we're going to take to the streets and we're going to have all this great pro-America stuff at the same time. I get it. There's an embargo and, and it's difficult, uh, not impossible, but difficult to get items in Cuba. But they seem to have a whole lot of American flags there in a country that's as communist as it is. I didn't think that was a, a, a likelihood. So I, I'm still a little bit taken aback by that. But that's where we are. And I don't know all the facts, but as an observer, I look at this and I go, man, this doesn't all smell right. The Cubans have every right to raise up because what's happening to them and what has happened to them has been wrong and it's been wrong for decades. And at the same time, we need to know what's going on. I'd love to know, why is AOC so silent on this? Somebody that has advocated for this very lifestyle. You know, I, I see some people 
arguing on Twitter, saying things like, these people are, are, are fed up because they want health care. And I'm thinking, they want health care? It was just a couple of years ago. Michael Moore was saying they got the best health care in the world in Cuba. Everybody's saying they got the best this and the best that. It's fantastic to be a communist, right? You get half a chicken when they tell you once a month, every other month, whatever it is. Everything's rationed. You go to the doctor when they say you can go to the doctor. I just talked to somebody the other day that had a family member in Cuba. And they were saying it's, it's a filthy place. The hospital was run down and decrepit. And they didn't, you know, it was good care, good staff when you can get it. And that's always the case with socialized medicine. But nobody ever wants to talk about that. But Jen Pasirko back Pasaki, she's at the White House in a press briefing uh, yesterday, which is Monday. And she says the Cuba protests were people who were exhausted with economic mismanagement. So, no, it wasn't that they killed a doctor in the streets, that the police are out there silencing people by arresting them. No, it wasn't any of that that has them chanting for vida and patria, for life and for their homeland. No, it was economic mismanagement. She's got to be kidding me. But listen to Jen Pasirkoback Pasaki. Silent P. Uh, Jen, just to follow up on Cuba, can you give us a sense of where the president's policy review on Cuba is right now? Do you anticipate making any changes, as Jonathan asked, and where do you see it going uh, from here? Well, I will say first, uh, and I meant to say this in response to Jonathan, but uh, there's every indication that yesterday's protests were uh, spontaneous expressions of people who are exhausted with the Cuban government's economic mismanagement and repression. And those, these are protests inspired by the harsh reality of everyday life in Cuba, not people uh, in another country. I'm saying that because I think there have been a range of accusations out there, as you well know, Jeff. Uh, in terms of uh, our assessment of uh, a future, our, our current po- our policy, I should say, uh, it continues to be, our approach continues to be governed by two principles. First, support for democracy and human rights, which is going to continue to be at the core of our efforts through empowering the Cuban people to determine their own future. Second, Americans, especially Cuban Americans, are the best ambassadors for freedom and prosperity in Cuba. I don't have anything to predict for you in terms of any policy shift. Obviously, given the protests were just happening over the last 24 to 48 hours, we're assessing how we can be helpful directly to the people of Cuba uh, in these circumstances. So is Joe Biden promoting a regime change in Cuba? Is that the next takeover for Joe El Baboso Biden? Is he not as baboso as we think? Or is he really just hands off and this is actually organic? I don't know that I believe that one. I think there's a lot more chess pieces here than meet the eye. And I'm not talking about conspiracy. I'm just talking about international affairs and the different interests that are at play. And I think more of that will become evident in the days to come. But I would not say that I think Joe Biden has clean hands here because I don't think he does. And I don't think he has the best interest of the Cuban people at heart either. So where does that put him? I think that puts him as a political prostitute, an opportunist that is going to make money where he can make money and he doesn't care what he has to sacrifice when he has to do it. And I think it also makes him very vulnerable to the Chinese who have a relationship with Cuba and may want to have more of a relationship with Cuba than Cuba is willing to let on. It wasn't too long ago that China and Chinese companies that were half owned by the CCP were trying to buy up water parks and everything on the coasts of Puerto Rico. And it didn't happen, thank God. But Cuba's close enough where they can put in these different quote-unquote aquatic companies and water parks 
which are really nothing more than Chinese military bases less than 100 miles away from the United States. And maybe that's me being a tin foil hat conspiracy theorist, or maybe not. But we're going to get into a little bit more stuff. I want to talk about President Trump's comments on big tech, on censorship, on Biden, on a whole lot of things. He was at CPAC and he dropped a bunch of bombs on him. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez and this is America. This is America. Bienvenido, America. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. Be sure to get at us. Let me tell you, I try to engage more and more with uh, the listeners that are on social media and at events when I go to them, and uh, I really love it. I love being able to speak with people that I know listen to the program. I spoke with Maria Isi out in Queens, and she said, you know, Rich, I have family that lives in Flemington, New Jersey, and we love to listen to your show on loop, back to back. We catch up on all the episodes, the entire ride there. It's like two hours whatever it is. She said they listen to This Is America on the way there and on the way back and that her husband is a fan. So I want to give a big shout out to him. Thank you, brother, for listening because that's what it's all about, listening and spreading that message and sharing it with others, sharing it through social media, sending a text message and really cool feature on Facebook now. When you share it on Facebook, you can the Spotify link, you can actually start listening to it right in your Facebook app, which I think is terrific. Anyway, CPAC. The uh, Conservative Political Action Conference, we had two this year, lucky enough to have two. I was at the one in January. They had another one just this past weekend. And President Trump dropping nuggets and jewels of wisdom. And like I always say, when Trump speaks, I like to bring you as much of it as I can because I know that they dilute it in most of the media and the media that is bringing it to you will bring you 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 15 second clip, a soundbite when he really has these longer form uh, pearls of wisdom and zingers that he gives to the left that I think are just, A, they're funny, they're entertaining, they're informative, and uh, they're valuable to the cause. So I want you to listen to President Trump vowing to defeat the Marxists. Check this out. With the help of everyone here today, we will defeat the radical left, the socialist Marxists, and the critical race theorists. Whoever thought would be even using that term. We will secure our borders. We will stop left-wing cancel culture. We will restore free speech and fair elections. And we will make America great again. It's very simple. Very simple. From the very beginning, the people in this room have been some of the staunchest and fiercest supporters of our incredible movement, the greatest political movement in the history of our country. And I can say that, and nobody ever even challenges me. Look at all those fake news people back there. They don't challenge us. Well, amen, hallelujah, praise God. He's right. I thank you uh, for sharing the truth, President Trump, because this is it. Whoever thought that we'd be talking about Marxists at at the highest level of government, in the highest levels of Congress, in charge of our university systems, not just the fringe, that one lefty lawyer that was a professor at X, Y, and Z school, but literally now you're talking about all of them. They run this when it comes to classrooms, college campuses, local governments, state governments, 
They're in the majority. Now, I get into this argument a lot with people because they say, oh, Rich, come on, they're not that bad. There's more of us than there is of them. Prove it. Prove it because right now, I don't see it. And that's why I think we need to multiply as quickly as possible and share this message as quickly as possible and bring on new patriots, new activists, new people that say, you know what, I love America. It's not about politics for me. It's about patriotism. It's about loving America, moving this country forward, having a country that we can be proud to leave to the next generation. Like my daughter Jada, shout out to Jada. She turns 20 today. God bless her. I want her to have a great future. My daughter Chachi will be 16 soon. They are the future. And it's that future that I think we need to fight for. Not just my own kids, but everybody's kids. And those who don't have kids, just for future generations of America so that we don't end up like Cuba. You know, it's funny, I have a friend who's a leftist and I saw something that they posted on social media and it said something like, you know, when the, when the communist government is silencing people for speaking out against them and denying their rights and imprisoning, uh, imprisoning them, you know, basically creating political prisoners, we've, we've got a problem. And that's what's happening in Cuba. And I thought to myself, wow, that's literally happening in the United States. People who spoke out, Donald Trump, he got kicked off Twitter. She was making the comparison of saying they shut off the internet in Cuba, which they did. The government shut down the communication so that people couldn't organize. Okay, no problem. I get it. But in theory and in sentiment, this is what they did with Trump. They didn't like what he was saying. Get off Twitter, get off Facebook, get off Instagram. They kicked them out. These authoritarian, totalitarian tactics are at play right here in the United States. The people that were at the January 6th rally, the people that were inside the Capitol, whether it was loitering, whether it was trespassing, whether it was uh, malicious mischief, whatever the charge is, have been locked up for something like five months on 23-hour lockdown. It's an incredibly excessive punishment for the crime. Nobody was killed. What do you mean nobody was killed? They killed that cop. We've already proved that to be a falsehood. He was never hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. It was misreported by CNN. He died of a stroke and his family said so. And the only other woman was killed there was trespassing and got too close to a cop and she was killed. So why is it that these people are on 23-hour lockdown and they haven't seen anybody, barely seeing their lawyers? Clearly a violation of their Eighth Amendment rights. I get it. If they weren't allowed in the building, they weren't allowed in the building. But my point is, we're seeing those things happen here in the United States. And these are the things that we need to fight against. We need to call them out. The old saying, daylight is the best disinfectant. We need to shed light on that. And you need a, an effective press in order to do that, which we don't have because it's been corrupted. So when people say there's more of us than there are them, then why aren't we taking over the press? And I don't mean trashing their building. I mean, literally, like a hostile takeover. And I don't mean hostile in, in terms of violence. I mean, why is it, how many generations does it take to, to have three, four, five kids, s send them to school, a good school, have them become journalists and take back media? I think if we all committed to that, it would happen. Now, I realize it's more difficult than not. Many of you are saying, why don't you have your kids do that? I pray that my kids will do that every day. Work in law, work in medicine, work in an area where you're going to make a difference. Work as a teacher. So that these young minds aren't perverted anymore. And I realize it's hard, but it doesn't mean we don't try because it's hard. But Trump is right. And when he's talking about critical race theory and all of this stuff, he's spot on. Some of these people, like this woman Tiffany Cross, who was on MSNBC, 
She says that Republicans that criticize critical race theory want to whitewash the truth about America. Now, we talked about that on the Sunday edition of This Is America. And I think, you know, how is it that they continue to do? This is what they do because they have Tiffany Cross, because they have MSNBC, because they have cable news and they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's why people are like, I don't know how you could like Trump. This is why I like Trump, because he pushes back, right back on him. And he's optimistic. So I want you to listen to President Trump at CPAC, encouraging the crowd, letting them know that this is the biggest, biggest movement, greatest in American history, and it's just begun. Check this out. Look what's happened to our country in just a short number of months. Everyone here today and every conservative all across our land needs to decide right now that together we will save this country. We must decide that we will not stop, we will not rest until our American heritage of freedom, liberty and justice is once again safe and once again secure. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. We owe our country nothing less than that. Our glorious American inheritance was passed down to us by generations of American patriots who gave everything they had, their sweat, their blood, and even their way of lives to build America into the greatest nation in the history of the world. And we are not going to let it be taken away from us by a small group of radical left Marxist maniacs. We're not going to let it happen. We will protect and defend our cherished American legacy and freedom for ourselves, for our children, and for every future generation. My fellow Americans, our movement is the greatest in American history, and it has just begun. Yep. I agree. And listen, I've spoken to the president on the phone a couple of times. I've been in the room with him as he's been giving speeches about three times. And I can tell you, it's electrifying to be there. He brings an energy and a commitment that's just, uh, you really get a sense that it's genuine. He really cares about America and he's really willing to put his life, his future that of his families as well on the line for something that he believes is greater than himself and if I were a billionaire I wonder if I would do the same things I think you know since I I don't live like he does I don't have that many options (laughs) I gotta fight for America but if I could be honest and say you know what if I didn't have to go to work if I didn't have to uh, make a living for myself if I could just play golf and live in Mar-a-Lago and when I get tired jump on my plane and live in Manhattan for a while and go live at uh, Trump what's it Thornberry the one that's in Scotland and really just go wherever he wants Uh, who knows if I'd have time to do any of this stuff so I really do I take my hat off to him because 
This is what America needs. That is the example. Sacrifice. Give it all up. Walk away from the big golden building on Fifth Avenue. Take your supermodel wife. Grab your kid. And let's head into the swamp where they're going to persecute your colleagues, your associates, your children. They're going to sweat them in the box, interrogate them 30 hours in some cases. That's what he did. Sacrifice. That's what we all need to do. Anyway, hold that thought. Keep it locked right there. We're not finished just yet. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. The 45th President Donald Trump thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. It's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative Talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. What's up, America? Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and this is the third segment. We're talking about the counter-revolution. Now, this one is going to be fun because today is the release of Mark Levin's book, American Marxism, and I've had it for a couple of weeks. An amazing book. Just really an amazing book. And again, yeah, I geek out on that. I'm a big fan. It's not just because he's the boss. I just, I really think... Mark presents things in a better light and a different light, a unique light than many other scholars do. And I think this expose, this exposition of Marxism and critical race theory and critical gender theory and how they've manipulated the use of the climate and how they've divided people into tribal groups to achieve their goal and really just taking a part of of Marxism and showing how it's been Americanized is really brilliant. Yesterday, Levin asked me on the air what I thought about the book and I told him candidly, I thought the word choice was great. It was very impactful. And the reason being is because from the second you pick this book up and you start reading it, it just jumps right at you. If you're paying attention to what's happening in our society, You can't help but relate to the opening even of the book. Check this out. The counter-revolution to the American Revolution is in full force, and it can no longer be dismissed or ignored, for it is devouring our society and culture, swirling around our everyday lives, and ubiquitous in our politics, schools, media, and entertainment. Once a mostly unrelatable fringe and subterranean movement, it is here, it is everywhere. You, your children, your grandchildren are now immersed in it and it threatens to destroy the greatest nation ever established along with your freedom, family, and security. Of course, the primary difference between the counter-revolution and the American Revolution is that the former seeks to destroy American society and impose autocratic rule and the latter sought to protect American society and institute representative government. The counter-revolution or movement of which I speak, is Marxism. You tell me if that's not enthralling. Going from one paragraph to the next, not wanting to put it down. So anyway, I'll give you a full review on this once I wrap it up. It's, it's really so good. I don't want to fly through it like I do with a lot of other books that I'm sent. This one, I really want to, I want to eat it up. I want to digest it. I think there's a lot in here. It's more like a textbook than like a, just a nonfiction political book. So I highly recommend that you get a copy. If you hate Amazon, find somewhere else to buy it. But it's very reliable. You probably get the best price on Amazon and uh, you'll get it fast. Anyway, that's American Marxism by Mark Levin. And it's, to me, it's 
really interesting that we have to even have this conversation, but the anti-communist movement has always been afoot here in the United States. There's been a lot of anti-communist theorists, you know, going back even to McCarthy back in the days, the Red Scare, McCarthyism, all of that stuff that you may have heard of. And that was always kind of written off as the fringe. And I got to tell you today, it's the mainstream. We all have to be anti-communists. And the reason I know it is because when you meet people that were from Cuba, from Venezuela, from anywhere, people that during the Pol Pot's regime, the uh, Khmer Rouge, whatever it is, when people who've lived through this and know what it's like, the Vietnamese, they're the first ones to come and tell you, I know what this looks like. I know what this smells like. I could smell it coming a mile away. And they and they come clean right away. They tell you, look, this is not good. When they start uh, rewriting history, so the left now says that we're rewriting history. We, the conservatives, we, the patriots, we, the the the, the right, the far right, as they like to say, whatever it is, because we don't like the idea of critical race theory. The question becomes: They've defined critical race theory as something that's completely innocuous. Right? If you ask any leftist or moderate that, that isn't paying attention, that hasn't read these materials, they're going to tell you critical race theory is this just this legal theory where you know uh, lawyers would look at and critically examine what's going on in so many parts of society and how race plays a role in that, and that intersection of race and prisons, race and school systems, race and real estate sales, whatever it is, banking, financing, etc. And as lawyers, they're trained to look through this lens that's critical to race and looking for the oppressor versus the oppressed, the Marxist mantra. And many people think that, oh, well, that, that part's okay then. If that's all it is, it's just a law school theory. I don't have to worry about that in kindergarten until you realize that it's, it's bigger than critical race theory. It goes into these other areas where this oppressor versus the oppressed narrative is now introduced to children at different levels in the name of equity. So I would argue when somebody comes to me and says, well, look, we're not going to be doing any critical race theory. We're just focused on equity. I'd say, Ert! hit the brakes real hard, screech on it a little bit and say, hold up a second. We need to have a conversation here. Because if you're saying that we're going to add books to a certain library collection and that we're going to focus on um, a, a diversity of thought here, we're going to have different ideas, that to me is okay. I welcome diversity of thought. But if you're going to say we're doing it in the name of universal truths and universal principles like um, not being a racist, caring for your fellow man, respect for one another, kindness, then I'm going to say, why would we want a divergent view of that? Why would we want diversity from kindness, diversity from respect, diversity from the colorblind society? Nobody wants that because diversity from that is a departure to what once was, which is bad. And we don't want that. So that's where the argument to me comes in where it's this is semantics and you do want to talk about engineering equal outcomes or what you think is an equal outcome. You don't care so much about being honest, about being kind, about being respectful and caring for your fellow person. What you care about is who wrote that book and were they a BIPOC, black indigenous person of color, not to be confused with Tupac, or were they a white person? Were they the oppressor or were they the oppressed? 
And that is what we have to focus on. And we've got to be educated enough to sniff this stuff out because guess what? Guys like Mark Levin and anybody else that's on the radio, and I bring him up because, you know, I, I, I'm in Levin world. Working with him, honestly, really has taught me a lot. And, and I consider it a, 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 an honor, I really do. But I say that to say that there's, there's one him and 100, 200, maybe 300 million of us. And we can make a difference when we're armed with the right tools. When we have the right knowledge. When we can defend ourselves. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about intellectually. Making an argument against someone. So when someone sends you something, you can stand up and give them your two cents. And sound good doing it. And it's not for everybody. Different people have different roles. Some people are going to be the printer. Some people are going to be the guy that drives people around from these meetings, making sure that, you know, we have 50 people there, 100 people there so that we don't look like we're by ourselves. So that other people that agree, even if they're not going to be the spokesperson for the group, but they're going to be involved. This is what activism looks like. So when people say, what can I do? That's what you can do. Pick up the book, read it straight through, read the last chapter twice. Listen to podcasts that encourage you and enrich you, whether it's this one or any other one that works for you. And build that coalition. Use that what was meant for bad. Use it for good. Right? The tech companies are trying to do this and that and whatever. And they're selling information, buying information. All sorts of crazy things happening. Use it. Like so many people that I, I'm, I'm in so many different face group groups. Facebook groups. Excuse me. And they're great. These people are passionate and they're out there and they share information. If they're not sure, they go, hey, look, I just saw this. Tell me what you think. Not sure if it's real, unverified, blah, blah, blah. But they're communicating. And some of these groups have tens of thousands of people. It's amazing to me. That what Facebook wants to stifle, you could still use these tools to do this important work of maintaining liberty, of promoting the next generation of American liberty. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. I don't want to sound like a preacher and I feel like I'm getting preachy. But I do want to encourage you to get the book, read the book, get the audio if you don't like the book. And if you really like me, I like to do the audio and the book at the same time. Because I'm a kinesthetic learner and it's better for me. Anyway, do what you got to do. Because if we don't stand up for this, we're done. Right? Hamilton. What'd he say? If we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. And Sir Edmund Burke, who informed the founders thinking. He said the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people. And I always say like you, like us. For good people like us to do nothing. That's the only thing that evil needs to win. So that means that we are the solution and that we will win. Hasta la próxima. Until next time, America. I am Rich Valdez and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.